Great to see you. Let's open our Bibles or access your device to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The message is disappointments may be his appointments. We're right now in a cluster of miracles that demonstrate the power of Jesus. Not long ago, we saw the Jesus and the disciples uh, in a scary storm, and we saw that Jesus has power over di- disaster and danger. And then we met a guy that was controlled by a legion of scary demons, and we saw that Jesus has power over demons. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that there was a woman who had a scary blood disease, and Jesus healed her, and so he has power over disease. And today, we're going to learn that, yes, Jesus even has power over death. And that's good to know because we're all going to have to face death. It reminds me of a funny story of a Baptist preacher I heard about one time who was trying to make that point. So he, he said, every member of this church is going to die. And there was a kid on the front row that kind of giggled when he said that. He didn't like that too much, so he just increased his volume and emphasized it even stronger. I said, every member of this church is going to die. And the kid laughed out loud. And finally, the preacher said, son, what's so funny about that? He said, I'm not a member of this church. (laughs) Whether you're a member of this church or no church or any church, we're going to have to deal with death. But for Christians, it's not scary. You know, the favorite thing I like about the Proverbs 31 woman, it says in verse 25 that she can laugh at the days to come, meaning that uh, people who walk with the Lord We can laugh at those days to come. So this is really what we call a double miracle because as Jesus is on his way to do one miracle, he performs another one. So we're going to divide up the text. So let's read here in Mark 5, beginning in verse 21. And if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat, To the other side, that means the western side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, now the fact he was a synagogue leader means he was probably important, maybe wealthy, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. And this is the part at which he runs into the mob the miracle is performed, so now we've got to skip down to verse 35 to pick up with this miracle. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid, only believe. Now, there's probably somebody here today or watching on live stream, that you need to hear God say those five words to you right now. Don't be afraid. Only believe. He, that is Jesus, did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house, and they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They, meaning the mourners, laughed at him. Luke's account says they laughed him to scorn, but he put them all outside. He took the child's mother, child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, 
Talithakum, which is translated in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have such power, power over so many things that challenge us, but we're thankful that you have power over death, and may we be encouraged by that. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. What was the worst day of this family's life immediately turned into the best day of their life. Their disappointment changed to delight. And that's what happens sometimes. When disappointments come into our lives, they can actually be God's appointment to reveal His power. Now, let me touch on one little nuance of the miracle. Why do you think Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this? Well, uh, just think. If word had spread about this, everybody would have been dragging their corpses to find Jesus. All the dead aunts and uncles and children and parents. It would have been a regular zombie parade. And so Jesus didn't come primarily to do miracles. Jesus didn't come primarily to heal or else he would have left a hospital. He didn't come primarily to teach or he would have established a university. He came for the main purpose of dying on the cross for our sins. He came to give his life a ransom for many. So that's why he said, don't spread the word. But word got around anyway, of course. Now let's learn four quick lessons from this miracle. Number one, when you're desperate, cry out to Jesus. This, this man comes running up to Jesus, falls down at his feet. Jesus, please help me. My, my little girl is sick. Now those of us that are parents, and that's a lot of you in this room, you know how when our children hurt, when they're in pain, we're also in pain. We wish we could take their pain away. When, when our younger daughter, Laura Grace, was just four years old, uh, Cindy was cooking some soup. It was a cold day in Alabama, and she had set the bowl of soup up at Laura Grace's place, and while we weren't watching, Laura Grace tried to climb up into her seat and accidentally pulled the placemat, and the hot soup spilled on her arm. She had a, a, a sweater on, and it just soaked it. Of course, she started screaming like crazy, and, and we rushed as fast as we could to get over to the fa faucet in the sink and, you know, put some cold water on the sweater, but already the damage was done. There was terrible burns there. So we rushed her to the ER, and she is screaming, howling the whole time. I've never seen her in that much pain. And we were both just sick to our stomach because our child was hurting and suffering so much. And all of you who are parents, you know what that is like. And that's what Jairus, Jairus was going through. His daughter was sick and dying, and, and he's just eating him up on the inside. And so he, had the, he did the right thing. He cried out to Jesus. And we have a good example of that in the life of King David. When he was being pursued by Saul, we read this in 2 Samuel 22, 7. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. So that's a great example to all of us. When we're in trouble, cry out to God. But the problem is, and I've mentioned this before, sometimes we try to fix it ourselves rather than crying out to God. The first church we served out of seminary was in a little town called Tallahassee, Alabama, halfway between Montgomery and Auburn. And one of the biggest industries there was a textile mill. 
One of the oldest ones in Alabama built in 1843 on the Tallapoosa River. And one of the guys in the church, who's a good friend of mine, Reed Hornsby, my prayer warrior, he had been working there for years. And one of his first jobs was operating one of the huge commercial looms. And he, he told me the story about the time when his first day of work, his boss said, okay, you're going to operate this loom, huge thing. And he said, and here's, here's what only thing you need to know. If something messes up and the threads get tangled, turn it off, come and get me. Well, not long after he started the loom, sure enough, the threads got tangled, but Reed was saying to himself, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm a pretty mechanical guy. I think I can fix this problem and not bother the boss. But the more he worked, the worse it got, the more tangled it got until finally it was a tangled mess. Turned off the loom, went and got his boss. His boss came back and just yelled at him, almost fired him on the spot. And Reed said this. He said, well, I did the best I could do. And the boss said, no, you didn't. The best you could do was call me. And that's the same way we get sometimes when we have tangled relationships, emotional tangles. We say, okay, I can, I can fix this myself. Instead, we call out to God first. Prayer is not your last resort. Prayer should always be our first resort. Here's the second lesson that we learn. When you're delayed, trust God's timing. Now think about it. Put yourself in Jairus' sandals for a moment. Come on, Jesus, please hurry. My daughter is critically ill. Let's go. And they're on their way, and all of a sudden they hit the mob. And they're just, it's like a traffic jam. They just are stuck there for a while, long enough for that woman to have a healing and then to give her testimony. And the whole time, don't you know, Jairus has got to be, you know, say, come on, Jesus, hurry, hurry. Let's go, let's go. He's standing there looking at his Rolex sundial. We, we got to get going. We got to get going. Nobody likes to be delayed. In fact, there's a lot of different ways in which God answers prayer. This is not on the outline, but it's kind of bonus material for you. Let me give you four ways that God answers prayer. They all start with the letter D. Sometimes God answers prayer directly. What I mean by that is as soon as you pray the prayer, God answers it. An example of that was when Peter was walking on water and he started singing. He said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down and saved him. That was a prayer that was directly answered. And the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a prayer that God will answer directly today to anybody who calls on him to be saved. So one way is directly. Another way God answers prayer is differently. God gives us something different than what we ask for. An example of that was when Paul had the thorn in the flesh, and he said, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God didn't answer it that way. And said, he said, I'm going to give you the grace to be able to deal with it. Sometimes he answers prayers differently. Sometimes he answers prayers with denial. He just says, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. But that's an answer. No is an answer. Can you think of an example of that? Well, what about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, take this cup away from me? That was a prayer. He said, but not my will, but yours be done. It wasn't God's will for Jesus to to not take the cup of suffering. So that prayer was denied. And then finally, and this is what we're talking about on this point, sometimes God, God's prayers are answered, but they are delayed. They are delayed. They're not according to our timing because sometimes we get in a hurry and God doesn't. A perfect example of that is in John chapter 11. Lazarus, 
the brother of Mary and Martha was sick and dying. So Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. He was down near the uh, Jordan River. They were in Jerusalem or Bethany near Jerusalem. Hey, Jesus, come quickly. Your friend, our brother Lazarus, is dying. Come and heal him. And the Bible says that Jesus deliberately delayed for two full days. And then he said, okay, let's go. And by then, Lazarus was dead. And Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And you can tell she's agitated. She's accusing. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But the reason Jesus delayed was because he knew that God would get greater glory from someone being raised from the dead than just somebody being uh, lifted up from a sick bed. So you see, with God, timing is more important than time. One of my favorite prophets is Habakkuk, because Habakkuk is always asking, when, Lord, how long, Lord, when are you going to pour out your judgment against sin? But then in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 3, he makes this powerful statement. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. Though it delays, here it is, wait for it, since it will certainly not come, certainly come and not be late. Now here at Marbury Baptist Church, we've been without a pastor for over two years, and we've been praying and praying and praying, and I just want to tell you folks, we need to be patient. God has a man, and he has his timing, so let's trust his timing, Amen. All right, number three, third lesson. When you receive bad news, keep walking with God. So here they are. They're on their way back to Jairus' house. Servants or friends or somebody comes or family. Hey, too late. She's dead. Don't bother Jesus any longer. And so Jairus was ready to give up. But remember, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Only believe. And, you know, we, we, we get bad news in our lives all the time. I mean, you may get that phone call that a relative has died. Or I, I've been in the ER waiting room with many families when the doctor comes out and says, your loved one has died. I, I've been in the homes of families not long after a law enforcement person came in, to their door and told them that, that someone in their family had died in a car accident. There's tons of bad news that we hear all the time. And we're tempted to give up on God, but that's the very time that we need to go walk closest to God. In fact, it is a blessing that we can have a personal relationship with our Creator. Greg was just talking about that. It, what a miracle that the Creator of the universe says, you know what, I want to walk with you personally. Think about it. Before they fell in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. It says that Enoch walked with God. And those of us that have known the Lord for many, many years, we know what it is to have a daily walk with the Lord. And Micah, the prophet, summarizes, bottom line, here's what really matters. Micah 6, 8, he has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, here it is, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, when we get bad news, we may want explanations from God. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? But brothers and sisters, God doesn't owe us explanations. He gives us something better. He gives us promises. 
And promises of God are a lot better than explanations. He says, I will never leave you or, or forsake you. you. You are beloved. I, I care for you. In fact, we used to sing this hymn when I was growing up, and some of you did too, by Keslow Carter. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. I know when I was in college, I was a music director at Cindy's Church, and I, I would always say about that hymn, we can't sing standing on the promises while we're sitting on the premises. So, but we always stood to sing that. Here's our fourth lesson. When you face death, claim God's hope. There's a saying, people often say, where there's life, there's hope. Well, that's not true. What is true is where there's Jesus, there is hope. And my acrostic for hope, H-O-P-E, is having only positive expectations. So there's a couple of ways in which he gives us hope. Number one, he gives hope when you experience grief, when someone you love has died. You know, people who are Christians who, who die, uh, we don't have to be afraid of death. And uh, it, it sometimes surprises unbelievers when they come to a funeral service of a, of a believer to hear, hear laughter. I mean, a few weeks ago, we buried one of our closest friends who'd been in the church longer than we have, and she was a sweet lady, funny lady, great lady, and there were so many funny stories told at her memorial service. Everybody was just laughing. Actually, I've had the unbelievers come up to me after services like that, not that one particularly, to say, well, how could everybody laugh so much about this? And they don't understand the fact that Christians, we can laugh in the face of death because we know where she is. We know she's with Jesus. She's not sick anymore. But, you know, I've had the terrible job on a number of occasions through the years to do a service of somebody that we weren't sure even knew the Lord. I promise you there's no laughter there. There's just deep, that, uh, somber sadness. Now, what's the difference? We grieve, but our grief is infused with hope. And people who don't know the Lord, they grieve with no hope. In fact, that's exactly what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, that means died, or to grieve, listen to this, like the rest of men who have no hope. And it's sad that there are people out there without Jesus that have no hope when there's grief. That's why we're actively trying to share Jesus with everyone that we can. Okay, let's go back to the story, okay? Back to the house of Jairus. Jesus and Jairus and, and the crowd walks up, and there's this terrible commotion. You know why? Because it was part of Jewish custom to hire professional mourners. That's what these people did. They went to houses where there was death, and they would weep, and they would wail, and they would play flutes with discordant music, and they would beat on drums and, and dance around and throw ashes over their head and tear clothes. I mean, it was a real uh, prescribed way to mourn. And, and Jesus walks up there and says, hey, by the way, hey, guys, you can, hey, cut it out. You can stop. She, she's not dead. She, she's just asleep. I said, hey, we're the expert. We know what we're doing. We're, we're professionals here. And I love the fact that it says, and Jesus put them out of the house. 
I'd like to see how that would have happened. Maybe he just put a good, you know, God, God stare on him. Or maybe he did an Obi-Wan Kenobi Jedi mind trick. You don't want to be here. We don't want to be here. Actually, there's a song by one of my favorite songwriter singers, Don Francisco. He has a song about this. And, and let me just read the lyrics of how it's described, how he describes it. Uh, from the standpoint of Jairus, this is all from the standpoint of Jairus. We were still a long ways down the road when I heard the sounds and cries of the mourners and musicians as they strove to dramatize my grief they had no business with beneath their loud disguise. My wife just sat there silently and stared through empty eyes. Then Jesus asked the mourners, why is it that you weep? She isn't dead as you suppose, the child is just asleep. It only took a moment for their wails to turn to jeers. Who does this man think he is? Get him out of here. With authority I've never heard from the lips of any man, he spoke, and every sound rolled out with the thunder of command. And in the sudden silence, they all hurried for the door, wondering what the reason was they'd ever come there for. Powerful. But, you know, every time we talk about the healing, or in this case, the raising of a, of a child, sometimes people, good people, ask the Lord, what about, why wasn't my child healed? And why wasn't my child brought back to life? Why? And my friend and mentor, Ray Stedman, has a really good perspective on this. I want to read it. He asked, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone and raise everyone who dies? Jesus has a different perspective on death than the world. Believing this present life is all there is, the world wants it all now. But the Christian can stand at the crib of a dying child and ask God to heal him, then believing that God can heal him, if the child dies, we still believe that our God did heal him totally by bringing him into the eternal presence of the Lord. This life isn't all there is, and I say amen to that. Also, number two, he gives hope when it's your time to die. When, when we face death ourselves, he also gives us hope, and that's going to come at some time for all of us if the Lord tarries. The Apostle Paul was in a prison in Rome, the Mamertine prison, and every time he heard the bootsteps of a Roman soldier, he didn't know if they were coming to take him out to behead him then or not. But he wrote about life and death in Philippians 1.21 and following. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He continues, I am torn between the two, life and death. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you, meaning the church, that I remain in the body. My friend Adrian Rogers used to have a sermon on Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the title of his sermon was, Heads I Win, Tails I Win. And that's true. Heads I win, for me to live is Christ. Tails I win, to die is gain. Uh, one of my favorite paintings of this scene of the raising of the girl is by Vasily Polinov from 1871. And it's a beautiful picture, and we're going to hold it up there while I read the final words of this song by Don Francisco. 
Then he called his three disciples that were with us on the way. He led them and my wife and me to where our daughter lay. He took her by the hand. He told her, child, arise. And the words were barely spoken when she opened up her eyes. She stood and walked across the room and stood there by our side. My wife knelt down and held her close, and at last she really cried. Then Jesus told us both to see that our daughter had some food. But as to how her life was spared, not to speak a word. But the name of the song is, Gotta Tell Somebody. So that's your assignment. Go, go YouTube, Don Francisco, Gotta Tell Somebody, and enjoy the whole song. So what a miracle. What turned out to be a great disappointment turned out to be a wonderful God appointment. And this miracle is a parable of salvation because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and Jesus has touched us and given us life. A few years ago, I got a call from a lady who was one of our TV viewers in, in Tyler. She lived out at uh, Hideaway Lake, and she was old and had terminal cancer. She was a Christian, and so she called and asked me if I could come out and visit with her. So I said, sure. So I went out to her house, and we went on the back porch, green back porch, and drank some iced tea. And she said to me, I don't know that I'm going to live much longer, so pastor, tell me, what's it like to die? And I said, well, it's like this. It's like when I was a kid, my family used to drive down to Panama City, Florida, about once a month, because both sets of grandparents were there, and we lived in South Alabama, so it was only about an hour drive. And we'd drive back on Sunday nights, and every Sunday night, I'd always go to sleep in the car. Now, this was long before seat belts or car seats. I mean, sometimes I would sleep in that flat part under the back window of the car or on the floorboard. And, but when, when we got home, I'd, I'd be sound asleep, and my dad would pick me up in his arms, carry me in, put me in my bed, tuck me in, and the next morning, I would wake up in my bed thinking, you know what? I, I went to sleep in the car, but I woke up somewhere else. And I, tell, I said to this lady, I think that's what death is. You go to sleep in one place, and then you wake up in another place because that's how much God loves you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the encouraging truth that we do not have to fear death that we can literally laugh in the face of death because you have conquered death. And Lord, I pray that everybody here in this room and everybody watching on live stream knows without a shadow of doubt that when they die, they'll go to heaven. But Lord, if there are any of them that don't, I encourage you to motivate them at this moment to pray this prayer to you. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I know I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Right now, Jesus, come into my life and take control. I surrender every part of my life to you, and I will live for you forever. Thank you for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.